Hello, and welcome to the Macaw Podcast Universe. My name is Micah. I'm Jordan. And we are brought to you by franchises. We're coming at you hot with all the franchises, trilogies or more, and diving in deep on what's good, what's bad, what we personally like, what we personally hate. And today, it's Ant-Man. Today This is wrapping up phase two. Of Marvel. Okay. Yes. So uh, what we're going to do is we're going to do this phase, and then we're going to do another series, which we've talked about in the previous episode, but I'll, I'll tease it and wait till the end on this one. And then we're going to finish up and do Marvel Phase 3. And yes. then we'll have been caught up. And, you know, a side note, I don't know that we've ever mentioned this, but um, series that we cover, a good example would be Marvel, whenever they come out, when they come out with new editions, we're going to cover those as well as soon as we can. Yes. So we might be in the middle of some other series, and then all of a sudden you're going to see Avengers 18 pop up on your uh, feed mm-hmm. and uh, instead of the regularly scheduled program. So you ready to dive in? Yeah. You got to get small for this one because it's Ant-Man. So do you want to... I will start. I will start. I, yeah, I was going to say you should start. You got a lot to cover. I got a lot to cover. So um, this is directed by Peyton Reed. And we'll we'll revisit some of these people when you hit yeah. them. Um, it's produced by the one and the only, the KF. I'm talking Kevin Feige. Um, screenplay by Edgar Wright, Joe Cornish, Adam McKay, and Paul Rudd. Um, you Didn't know about Adam McKay. Yeah, yes, I got stuff on that so we can learn more. But uh, Adam McKay, you'll recognize from the big short, um, the other Step guys. Brothers, Step Brothers, Anchorman. Anchorman. We're doing a quarter of my notes already. <laughs> yeah, and then Joe Cornish, you'll recognize from Adventures of Tintin, Attack the Block. another small portion of my notes. Yeah, do you want me not to no, do this? No, you can. No, okay. you can. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then, um, of course, Edgar Wright is, you know, uh, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, Baby Driver. So much of my notes. No, uh, <laughs> I hope that everyone knows Edgar Wright. Yeah, if just not. Just by mention of name. You really should. Scott and Pilgrim, one of the best movies of all time. Not an exaggeration. If you have not watched it, go watch it. And then you're welcome because that will be a movie for the rest of your life that if you're just scrolling through Netflix and you're like, oh my gosh, Scott Pilgrim's on, you'll, I'm, well, you'll watch it, you'll it almost it. every time. And it's um that has this really interesting pre-Captain uh, America, Chris Evans performance that's very funny. Yeah, it's, so, it's funnier now that he, yeah. since, since all of Captain America. That movie, we've talked about this, that movie has this insane cast, but they weren't really that popular yet. Yes. So when you watch the movie now, you're like, that person, that person, that person? It's really fun. Um, music by Christoph Beck, who did Frozen, American Made, Trolls, and Alexander, and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day, which does go down in history as the worst title ever for a movie. Yeah, I'm going to go with that, too. Um, cinemat- Isn't that a book? Uh, I think so. Okay. And it's a terrible book title, too. Uh, cinematography is Russell Carpenter. He did Titanic. Okay. This means war and the original, well, kind of original because it's based off a TV show, but Charlie's Angels. Pass. Keep going, please. I don't want to talk about it. Okay. Uh, the movie came out July 17th, 2015. And then, uh, box office, the movie makes 180 
$1,202,163, and worldwide it makes $519,311,965. Wait, how much does it cost? Um, that's I just am looking through, and oh. I, I didn't have that, so um, I'm trying to see... It's a lot of money it made. Production costs. I remember Let's the see. advertising being pretty good. So it had a budget around $162 million. Oh, no, that's Ant-Man and the Wasp. Ugh. Let's see. Here we go. Calculating, calculating. I'm running the numbers now. Budget, 130 to $169 million. So... I made a lot of money. Yeah, but that's not actually. I mean, it only. Well, small, it's still small, a lot, but small profit it, for a small character. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Um, Which is crazy to say that was that's small. Yeah. The character, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I followed you on that one. <laughs> when I listen back, I'll be like, "Oh, okay." It'll have sunk in by then, hopefully. <laughs> Um, so originally Stanley, the creator of most of these characters, pitched an idea of Ant-Man in the 80s to New World Pictures, but Disney was working on Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, so it didn't happen. Oh, interesting. Yes, and then later, uh, in 2000, Howard Stern, uh, attempted to purchase film rights. Howard Stern? So he was interested in doing it. Okay. And now this is where it gets a little unbelievable. You mean the the, the America's radio... Got Talent judge? Yeah, Howard yes, I Stern. forgot he did that. Yeah, interesting. He was like the Randy of America's Got Talent. Yeah, he was the Yo Dogger of then. Pretty much. Yeah, that's a pretty good analogy. Actually, that works. That works. He is the he is the Randy. I feel like he was pretty neutral. Mm-hmm. Very easy to please, but he would say no occasionally. Yeah. Only yeah. only when the algorithm made sense though. Yeah. Anyway. You want, you want to get into your theory no. about that show? Okay. No. Um, so in 2003, so 12 years before, or yeah, 12 years before this movie comes out, Edgar Wright and Joe Cornish pitch to Artisan a burglar take on the Ant-Man character where he's a burglar. Love it. Then in 2004, they pitch it to Kevin Feige. Whoa. So this is before there's even Iron Man. Wow. Then in 2006, Marvel hired Wright to direct and write with Cornish. So 2006. In 2008, the first draft of the movie was done. So that's the year Iron Man comes out. Yeah. So this has been a long time. Yeah. Edgar Wright's been passionate. He wants this character. He's Wait, got an you, idea. Sorry, go back. So Stan Lee was trying to like get a movie made. In the 80s. In the 80s. But this char- do you know like when this character was created? Long time ago. Okay. He's he's one of the, he's like in the sixties at least. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, okay. Um and then apparently since he wasn't a huge director, Feige wasn't concerned with getting it done fast. Hence the like, okay, like he's he they hired him in two thousand six and then the first draft was done in two thousand eight. Okay. And you know, um during those periods Edgar Wright's also working on other projects, so you know, I think he's getting sidetracked. Sidetracked. Um the one and only Joseph Gordon-Levitt was considered for Ant-Man. Okay. Actually, okay. Yeah. Um, and then, May 23rd, 2014, Wright was announced to leave the project. And he said, I wanted to make a Marvel movie, but I don't think they really wanted to make an Edgar Wright movie. Huh. 
Makes you even more curious to, as to what the movie would have been like. I know. So then at one point in the movie, while he's working on the draft, Marvel wanted to do a draft without him while he was still the director. But he writes all of his movies, and he was like, no. Yeah. Um, He felt like he was becoming a director for hire, and it wasn't a passion project oh. anymore. You know what's crazy about this? is I, I mean, he's very different from James Gunn. Uh-huh. Very different. But I think that they are pretty similar in some ways, too. Yeah. And I think that James Gunn is the success story of that. Yeah. Because Guardians is a passion project. I don't I don't know his history like with the actual comics and stuff. Like I don't know if he was lobbying to be the director hardcore or anything. Mm-hmm. But um it it's interesting that like James Gunn got Guardians. He got to do pretty much what he wanted to do. Yeah. In in the gar- first Guardians. But and, and then then the second one like they gave him even more liberty. Yeah. And then he gets fired and people are like freaking out because yeah. it's because it's like it's not only a Marvel movie, it's a James Gunn movie. Yeah. And Edgar Wright didn't get that chance cuz I feel like he would it would have been the same thing. Does that make sense? I yeah, I totally get that. What a bummer. Um so yeah, so he felt like it was becoming a director for hire situation, not a passion project. Yeah. Which a lot of these movies do. So in this phase, especially, we just we, watched one. About it's called like, Ant Man. Yeah, but you know, like Thor: The Dark World. Yeah. Um, and not Avengers, but I guess that's the only one in this one that really feels like it's kind of just what like anyone could have directed it. Like it doesn't have a style. Civil to it. War feels that way to me. Well, we're not there yet, so we I know, can't talk but it about still that. feels that way to me. <laughs> um. But when he left the project, most of his crew left the project for support as well. Kind Dang. of interesting. So then by May 30th, we're still in 2014. Wait, 2014 was when he was let go? That's when he left. That's so soon to... So they were like really working on the movie. Yeah, yeah. So then um, by May 30th, Adam McKay, this is a quote from Wikipedia, had entered negotiations to replace Wright. But he pulled out of negotiations the next day out of respect for Wright, who he has, who he was friends with. On June 7th, Marvel announced that Peyton Reed would direct the film with McKay contributing to the film's script. McKay felt this was the perfect result since he would not be replacing Wright, but was able to help Rudd, who was also his friend. Okay. So then Rudd... Good good on Adam, man. Yeah, yeah. Trying to save face and be a good friend, but also get a little bit of a paycheck, too. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And here's the the other kind of weird thing is... Um, in in the grand scheme of the Marvel, like we have two movies back to back that have troubled productions. Uh-huh. So, and where the director's upset, and I remember not being a fan of Marvel at the time. I remember being like, "Oh, this is like the downfall. Like yeah. this is how this story begins. This is the downfall. Like the, everything's gonna start going down. People aren't gonna like these movies." And then when I watched Ant Man, I was like, "Okay, I am correct. These are gonna start sucking." But then I think in phase three, they're able to make that adjustment mm-hmm. and, and make the movies a little bit more stylized and let the director have more control. I think so, too. I agree. Not that s- some of the others did, but now, especially in phase three, as we'll go through, a lot of the movies are like very distinct. Well, I wonder what Guardi- what the franchise would be like without Guardians. In, as a whole? As like, a whole. Because I feel like Guardians was... That, a, like, broke the boundary. And I, I know people would probably disagree with this. People who may have more experience with the co- the comics mm-hmm. and stuff. But, like, I feel like Guardians was the first uh, original feeling... Uh, just original 
movie out of all of them. Yeah. Original, you know about it, what I mean when I say original. Yeah. And also just like, I don't know what I'm trying to say. I'm kind of losing my train of thought. But well, uh, like that one, that one like broke the mold it took of the what first had been. Risk. Yeah, because the other ones had taken risks, but then they then they like um they were able to pr- kind of perfect that formula. Yeah, and so then like the formula's working, and then it's kind of like Guardians breaks the formula, and then you know with the with the next phase you have like the Spider Man movies that have like a high school drama feel. You have Black yep. Panther, which is has all these like <coughs> black rights issues and stuff. Mm-hmm. Then you have and Guardians Two, which is just Guardians crazier two. than the first one. Thor Ragnarok. Thor Ragnarok is crazy. Um and and even to some extent like Doctor Strange has a lot of like visually crazy stuff. I I would on. agree with that. So while it sucks that we don't get to see the Edgar Wright movie, uh maybe we're better for it, the universe as a whole. Cause I think it helped provide some creativity. But I'm still going through this. There's hmm. a lot more. Um Rudd elaborated on, uh, and this is a quote from Rudd, um, the idea, the trajectory, the goal, and the blueprint of it all is really Edgar and Joe. It's their story. We changed some scenes. We added new sequences. We changed some characters. They we took out the whole heist element. New probably. characters. If you took the two scripts and held them up together, they'd be very different, but the idea is all theirs. Wright had not... Uh-oh, I, I did. So he didn't have someone named Janet van dyne in the movie i don't know who that is and he didn't have the quantum realm or a fight with the avenger so he didn't have any of those things things in their script um and then so so that's that's the edgar wright yeah thing so beyond that there's a little there's even a little more interest to the movie okay now this is more just in the production element of it so this movie has a one to 85 ratio and they what does that mean visually um, uh, I don't get how you don't even know what that means. <laughs> Does anyone know what that means? Well, uh, it's, so it's it's one. Is it because the ant, he's so small? Yeah, it's so it's one across eighty five high. Um, this still doesn't tell me what that <laughs> means. Every time someone says it or I read it in a book, it's like I'm also really bad at math, so yeah. it's more like that than anything. But I'm just like, well, here's I trust that there is actual meaning behind. Yeah, this. yeah. I mean the the. I can't remember right now. I'll be honest. I'll be honest. I feel like an idiot, but don't know. Don't um, feel like an idiot. It's. I think it's confusing. Yeah. Well, I tried to get into. I mean, I remember in the Avengers episode, the first one, I really got into aspect ratios, and it makes sense. But to me, I kind of need the examples next to them. Does that mean like the depth? No. This is the size of the screen. Okay. So it would be one one across, and then point, and then uh, yeah, like point eighty five up. So if it was like a one to one ratio, it'd be a square okay. that we'd be seeing. Um, so that's if it was like a. So this movie's almost very square. I think so. I think that's what that means. Okay. Uh, I'm open to being wrong on this. Okay. Everybody, but um. I also am not trying. I'm not. I know. I know. Okay. I know. You're like just asking, but I. I what stinks is I took these notes probably three weeks ago, maybe even four. Oh, so you just forgot. And I forgot what what point I was trying to make with that, so I was just saying it and hoping I could zoom past caught it. You. <laughs> you caught me. Um, one to eighty-five just sounds crazy. Yeah, but it's because I don't know what it is. Well, while I'm talking, why don't you look up what um like a sitcom aspect ratio is? Okay. S- just say like Seinfeld aspect ratio. Um. 
So they did macro photography on this, which is extremely close up. So that and they then, could get him as a little Ant-Man. <laughs> yep, and everything else is really blurry, which actually, that looks pretty nice in the no, movie. No, I, I agree. Uh, <laughs> should you watch Seinfeld in the original aspect ratio, 4 to 3? 4 to 3? Or the newer widescreen 16 to 9 format? Uh-oh. Okay. Oh, this is a question. Should you watch it how it's originally intended? It's a sitcom. Get over it. Yeah. I'm going to go with um let's just pretend I didn't I didn't, didn't talk say about it. Um so Carpenter, this is the um cinematographer said um wait, is it the cinematographer? Yes, okay. Just making sure. Um this is another quote. So he said vibration became a tremendous problem when mo- oh, some of it's quote, some of it's not. Anyway, said vibration became a tremendous problem when moving the camera during the macro photography because one inch off the ground is like 15 feet in the air. From an ant's perspective, you move four inches to a human perspective, that's a football field. The solution required the filmmakers to search for a creative solution. So they turned to Baller, who had that's a, um, a company, who had a back, or no, that's a person, sorry, who had a background in commercial tabletop photography. In order to add Paul Rudd's performance as Ant-Man when in the macro world, a centroid facial capture setup was used with a five-camera array of Alexas, that's a type of camera, surrounding Rudd. Rosenfeld explained one camera was set up vertically while the others were horizontal with overlapping image areas, all set to record at 48 frames per second. This maximized resolution and provided 3D modeling of Paul's performance. Reed would then call out story moments with Paul Rudd performing facial expressions that would later be composited on a CG Ant-Man. Entomologist Stephen Kucher provided suggestions to the filmmakers on how to film live ants. Here's a question I have. Okay. First of all, when I hear that, I'm a little bummed because the movie was so bleh and so much hard work went into it. And it's so underwhelming. Yeah. Secondly... Why do they need to get facial expressions when he's wearing a helmet anytime he's shrunk? I, yeah, we should. Yeah, let's talk What's about the that. Point? Because I think um, his suit is okay. It's decent. It kind of looks like an ant to me. Oh, I like the design a lot. And it's, I, I'm not in love with okay. it. I think it could be better. <clears throat> but there is. I like how it's not super shiny. That's nice. But but there's a weird element, which is what you're talking about, and I was even noticing in the movie where it's like when he's Ant Man, he's just the little figure, and and sometimes they would do these close ups, and it's like I can't really see what what's like. Being I done. guess you can see his eyes, maybe. Kind of, and and it, it was like if if you really wanted us to get expression, you should have made his face like seeable, like his whole face or something. Yeah. So just, I thought that was a like weird choice, a waste of money. It, yeah, it almost seems like why don't you just. Make him have goggles and we can't see in his face because we don't need to. I, I You know, I don't yeah. know. Because every time it cut, it was a little distracting to me when it cut to his minimized close-up face when he had the mask on. And I yeah. screamed every time. <laughs> you did. Bloody murder. Uh, so that's the notes I got. Cool. Um, at what point do we want to dive into on cinema at the cinema? I need to do it through mine before you we even do that. scratch the okay. surface of okay. that. Most of this episode is going to be dedicated to on cinema, so let's just save it. Okay. So I we already talked about Adam McKay, Joe Cornish. Um, <clears throat> so 
Peyton Reed as a director has got a pretty interesting career leading up to Ant-Man. Okay. So he's done 13 episodes of the show Back to the Future. 13 episodes. And that's an animated show? Yeah. Okay. 13 episodes of the Weird Al show. Weird Al had a show? In 1997, I guess. And then he did three episodes of Mr. Show. Like the Bob Odenkirk, David Cross show? And then his first theatrical, like, director, whatever, Bring It On. The cheerleading The movie. original? Yeah. <gasps> Bring it on. <laughs> wow. And then the breakup. He did the breakup with Jennifer Aniston and Vince Vaughn. And didn't haven't seen anything so far. Yes, man. In two thousand eight. And then I you know, he's done some other small things, but um just a really odd career. And so now he's done Ant Man and I Ant-Man feel like he was a a blank slate enough. To direct this movie. That's kind of what I think, too. Um, And then Paul Rudd. I mean, I wrote down so much just to like... Because it's so interesting to me that they chose Paul Rudd for this role. Because mm-hmm. he was already so established as an actor. Yeah. And it'd be crazy if someone had not seen him in a movie. Yeah, pre- he's like a king movie. of comedy at this point. His first uh, notable movie is Clueless, which he is wonderful in that movie. I freaking love Clueless. And he's a little bit of a heartthrob in the movie. I will say so. Whoa. You'll think so, too, when you finally watch it. Um, I love that movie. Uh, he's in Halloween 6, Romeo plus Juliet, Cider House Rules, the 1999 one. Okay. Uh, I There's think they re- two? I guess so. There's a oh. 1999 one. Um, he's in White Hot American Summer. Yeah. He's in 18 episodes of Friends. I believe he dates... Um, What's the weird one? Phoebe. Phoebe. I could totally be wrong about that, but I feel like he dates Phoebe for a while. Brad Pitt's also in that show. Do you know that? What? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that, obviously. I think he dates someone. Probably Jennifer Aniston. Come on. And then he's an Anchorman, 40-year-old version, Night of the Museum, Role Models, I Love You Man, Dinner for Schmucks, Perks of Being a Wallflower, Anchorman 2, Parks and Rec, Oh yeah, he does a extended and, run in Parks and Rec. Yeah, that's right. And that that's I think he, that's the same year as Ant Man is when mm-hmm. he is that and that stuff's premiering in Parks and Rec. He received a Hollywood star like Walk of Fame before this movie. He was a cert, like on the Hollywood wow. star. So that means he's he's I mean he's, he's made established. It. Yeah. Um, I I think that he was a good casting choice. I I know we'll get into yeah. that, but yeah, because but. Um, it's just so interesting to me that he, they, they didn't get someone different or just like a nobody. Yeah. Um, and then, well, it kind of makes sense because I don't, I don't know. Um, so then, you know what, honestly, because of the way the movie turns out, like Red's casting in this movie, it's not bad or really weird, but I could see how in a Edgar Wright movie, this casting would have been like the best casting in Marvel. Yeah. You know what I mean? Were they already casted when he left the project? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they would have been about to yeah. film if they hadn't even started filming yet. So, Interesting. Um, I just, I see how in an Edgar Wright movie, he's got that, you know, kind of like Michael Sarah and Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. It's like in an Edgar Wright movie, it's perfect. But if someone else directs that movie, it's not, it probably misses a little bit, but he no would still do a good that job. Movie. Are you That's what I'm saying. Me? That's what I'm saying. Um, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Weird. So then you have Michael Douglas who plays Pym. I don't remember his first name. Hank Pym. Hank Pym. You don't remember his first so name. So Michael Douglas has been in so much stuff, and oh, yeah. I, I mean, I Huge. didn't. 
I didn't. My, the list is not as long as Paul Rudd's. However, he is much bigger than Paul Rudd. Mm-hmm. So I wrote th- down things like Romancing the Stone, Fatal Attraction, and Wall Street in the same year. Basic Instinct, The Game. Yeah, wait, in the same year he was in all three yeah. of those? No, no, no. Sorry. Fatal Attraction and Wall Street. Just that. Oh, okay. Sorry. I realized that. Um, Basic Instinct, The Game, which I still haven't seen. Yeah, that's a David Fincher movie. I know. Um, Wonder Boys and Traffic, same year. Um, You, Me, and Dupree. <laughs> oh, Wall, Wall Street, the Shia LaBeouf, when Shia LaBeouf is in it. Oh, yeah, the sequel, yeah. Then Las Vegas, 2013, you know, those that old fogey movie. Oh, yeah, Does, that's got um James Caan in it, the guy from... Does it, doesn't it have, like, Morgan Freeman and, like... I don't think so. Robert De Niro? Are you, are you thinking <laughs> of... Oh... Oh, that I th- movie! I think it's that movie. Let me double oh, check. Oh, let's. Uh, they're like one last time in Vegas, and they're old now. I hope I'm wrong. I th- I thought I thought you were talking. You said that's 2013. Yeah. <clears throat> let's see. Oh, it's not even popping up. It's just called Vegas. Hold on. Or leaving Vegas. No, just Las Vegas. I think. Because I think that was based off of a show, if I remember right. Last Vegas. Oh, okay. That proves okay. it. That okay. pr- throwing my phone. That proves that he's in that old fogey movie. Old fogey movie. Okay. Well. Anyway. Anyway. Let me let me <laughs> just blaze through the, these other two people. Evangeline Lilly. First th- thing, Lizzie McGuire movie. Wow. Precious. And all she is is like a cop. All her credit is just like cop or something. Okay. So yeah. Um, and then. Freddy versus Jason. Wow. She's in White Chicks. She's in Hurt Locker, which I feel like Hurt Locker is her real big first thing. She's in Hurt Locker? Apparently. And then Real Steel with Hugh Jackman. Oh, the Boppet boys. And then Hobbit 2 and Hobbit 3. Oh, wow. The worst. Maybe one, the, one of the worst is characters. Is she the worst character in the, in the like Lord of the Rings cinematic universe? She might be. She's terrible. Her character's terrible. Yeah. Anyway, and then Michael Pena. Uh, oh, yeah. Crash and Million Dollar Baby in 2004. Babel, Shooter. Oh, 30 yeah, Minutes shooter. or Less, Tower Heist. End of Watch, Gangster Squad, Cesar Chavez, which came out before this movie. Okay. Like what I said. Yeah. Um, And then I also wrote down Bobby Cannavale. I, I bet it's Cannavale. Uh-huh. Um, but I didn't look him up because I was getting really tired last night. Is he one of the crew? He is the boyfriend of oh yeah of, that guy who's in everything and he's ever. just always just a treat he is and i'm treat. glad he didn't go through his acting credits he's 105 and he's not even that old um, he's, he's the guy for the listener that is um scott lang slash paul rudd's um wife ex-wife's boyfriend or husband are they married no they're not married okay but okay yeah but I mean, he's just in so much stuff. A lot of this early stuff, I have no idea what I'm looking at. Well, he was in the other guys. He's in Law and Order. He yells at he yells at uh, um, Mark Wahlberg that he shot Jeter. He's also in Itania. He's in Paul Blart Mall Cop. Wow, cool. Um, he's he's just in like everything, and he's always he is the guy. I feel like you know, there's a, there's always like an actor that's like, oh, that guy's always so good. I never remember his name. Yeah. And I kind of forget that he was in it right after I finished the movie. But he was <laughs> the best part. Yeah. He's that part, but you don't forget him. Yeah. Because yeah. he is, he's so like magnetic. He's great. Yeah. 
He's great. Yeah, I mean, he would be considered a character actor, right? Oh, I don't know. I don't think I've seen him in enough stuff to make that call. Okay. Well, on that note, you want to jump into the movie? Sure. Oh, the uh, the other thing I forgot to mention is Edgar Wright has cited the fact that he left this project is the reason that he got around to making Baby Driver. Oh. So if you look at it that way, I'm okay with him. And John Hamm's in that movie, so. And it's a great movie. Thanks. Um. Okay. So here we are. The movie. Oh, should we talk about on cinema? No, or should we, we, we got to get end? to that part. Okay. We need okay. to get to that part. <laughs> I'm just excited to get to that part. So, um, the movie starts in 1989, and uh, Hank Pym goes into like a shield, like <laughs> just early like one days of, the of worst, shield. One of the worst set designs you've and ever seen. It's it's so boring looking. Yeah, I think it's like a TV show set. It's got to be from lighting. like Agents of Shield, right? That would make sense. But it's really bad looking. Oh, so bad. And he he. But first, first CGI de aging. Yes. And then the Marvel Universe. And it looks okay. I think it looks pretty good. It's, I think the, the I, lips are a little I odd. said when we were talking, when we were watching the movie, like, it is noticeable compared to, uh, like, now. Like the Sam Jackson and... But it's not ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I bought it. I bought it. Um, uh, I mean, literally, I red boxed this movie, so I bought it. You did? The yeah. first time we wa- I watched it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, Who'd you watch it with? By myself. And I really was upset about it. That's I was a bummer. really upset about it. I saw it in theaters. That's with, a better with th- my dad, my sister, and my brother, I think. And uh I only got really excited one time and we're yeah. getting there. Yeah, we're almost there. Because it's right at the beginning. Um but yeah, so in this they talk about how there's this PIM particle that um you don't really know what it is. Of course later we'll find out it shrinks people. And and Howard, and these people Howard want Stark it. wants to like use it. Yes. And then the other guy wants to weaponize it. Yes. Who will That was it? Howard Stark? Yes. <laughs> okay, wait, wait. There, get... there, so there are two actors. That was the first original actor? That's the that's the like Walt Disney Howard Stark. Okay, that's what I would guy. thought. He looked really different, first of all. Why are they using him again? Because well, he's older? Because it's 89. And the other Howard Stark is in the 40s. That is so... That is so... We, yeah, we, crazy to it, me. Yeah, we talked they went about that back, in First Avenger. I mean, I, I get like using the same actor because yeah. I, I'm watching. And I'm like, oh, I think like I remember this person. So he's he's in Iron Man two. Yeah. So he's the first time we see Howard, Howard Stark, and then the next movie that comes out was the Dominic guy, who yeah. who looks like he's from like Puerto Rico or something. Yeah. And then um, who who we said actually looks kind of more like Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, and he does a great job. Yeah, but it's but so weird because they established the other this guy. other guy. Like I don't think you can get any wider than this guy in terms of like average looking. <laughs> yeah. So so then they go back to. Yes. Yeah, so now that's so confusing. I think he's in the rest of them because he's in Endgame. Howard Stark. Okay. Remember, because Tony like sees him. Yeah, 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 yeah. So. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that, that, I wish you we, could see I'll, Jordan's <laughs> face. She's like so confounded by that. It's it's very funny because the the universe is so like tight and they hardly make mistakes. But when they do, it feels like they're really like, huh? Like, yeah. How did, they're really confusing. How is that a mistake? Um. So then, um, you kind of see that there's something weird going on, and Fast then it's like it's like present day. Paul Rudd gets out of jail. He's been in prison for like five years. Yeah, he's a cat burglar. Yeah, or should I say an ant burglar? Yeah, and uh, his his first scene, he's like being kind of quippy. It's 
fine. Well, he gets out and he's really, you know, he's like, I am going to like be an honest person now and I'm going to like earn money honestly. And because you see early on, like he has a daughter mm-hmm. who is adorable. Yeah. Very good child actress. Yeah, she does good. She's so cute. And uh, you, you see that like it's a very strained relationship between like, I'm a, that's his ex-wife for sure. Like they didn't get married or anything. Yeah. We're just going to call her his ex-wife. Yeah. But like she, it's clear that they don't really want him, like they're uncomfortable with him being around because mm. he's a criminal. Yeah. And I think they're like, are concerned that they're, you know, they don't want that influence around their daughter. And mm. that's kind of like, well, it's well, just. it seems like he's flaky. Is the, and he's flaky, thinking. which makes sense because he was in prison for five years for like basically being a flaky yeah, he person. He didn't hang out at the house for five years. What a flake. Yeah. Dude, <laughs> come on. Um. So. So he gets a job at. Baskin Robbins. Baskin Robbins. And which while, is before that, which is a really funny scene. That uh-huh. kid is like, "Hey, a burger." He's like, "No, this is this is Baskin Robbins." Yeah, yeah. He's like, "Yeah, okay. Uh, what about a hot dog?" No, I really. This is a ba- This is ice cream. It's cold yeah. stuff. And he's like, How about just anything, anything hot." Yeah, <laughs> anything hot or fresh. Or- <laughs> yeah, I thought that was so funny. It was pretty good. Um, and then he gets called into the back. And by his manager. By his manager. And the manager proceeds to... And he's acting very odd. Yeah. Like like kind of bad acting. Yeah. In, in a little bit. And he's saying how... He's very stiff. It's... <laughs> he's saying how it's cool that um, he's a cat burglar and he's not going to tell anyone. And then Paul's like, oh, that's so awesome. And then he goes, but of course you're fired. Yeah. Um, But, you know, if you want to, you can take one of those fruit berry smoothies and I'll look the other way. Yeah. So he, it's it's a very funny scene, and it's the highlight of the entire movie. And it's because this is an Easter egg that I think a lot of people probably don't know exists. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's. I mean, how do we want to even begin? Okay, there is this, there is this show on YouTube. YouTube well, Adult part, Swim. Part of Adult Swim called On Cinema at the Cinema, <laughs> and it's. Just laughing, thinking about it. It's Tim Heidecker is the host. Greg Turkington is his guest. Yes. Greg Turkington is the manager of the Baskin Rob. Like that, that is the, the, he is acting as the manager. Yes. So, I mean, on cinema is like how many seasons? I think there are 10 now. Like 10 and seasons. And then there's the Decker. And, and the and... whole thing is they review mu- movies. Um, and But it's this weird like comedy show. Yeah. Where Tim Heidecker is playing a fictionalized version of himself that's this crazy egomaniac that's obsessed with like um all natural <laughs> remedies and like doing these weird things and then Greg Turkington And then being in a band. And being in a band later in the series. Um if you are a fan of any semblance of comedy, watch it all. Yeah. Because it will provide you I mean, there is literally a four hour trial because things get pretty bad in the later seasons that is filmed in a and courtroom every- with a judge, with a jury. It's the most insane comedy show it gets, ever it made. does get to a point where you're like how much of this is a joke now it's crazy and it does they do um oscar specials where every for like the past couple oscars mm-hmm. they will be having a live stream of their own <laughs> on like them uh, yeah. celebrating the oscars and it usually always ends up with tim getting really drunk and screaming at people and like throwing stuff and at throwing Greg stuff at Greg. because they have this really destructive relationship and what's funny is tim is this is tim's show but he, for some reason, always has Greg as, as the, the guest. And Greg is a film buff. He really has no credentials. But he but watches really, a lot of VHS yes, tapes. And he's really, really prideful about 
about being such a big movie buff. Mm-hmm. He's not a movie reviewer professionally. And his movie reviews are horrible. He yeah. like loves every single thing. It's always a five bags of popcorn for every yeah. movie. <laughs> yeah. So then, I, I know we're setting the table here, but I think it's worth it. Because um, it's the most interesting part of this movie. Um, on one of the Oscar spec- specials, they have a director on. And that director's name is Peyton Reed, the director of Ant-Man. Mm-hmm. So while the Oscars are going on, this director... And so I just want to preface it with saying, even though I don't like the two Ant-Man movies, because he did this joke, I'm okay with him. I'm yeah. like absolutely okay with him. And I would be like excited to meet him. Yeah. Um. So Peyton Reed shows up as a guest on the Oscar special, and they talk about how he filmed a scene with Greg Turkington, and Tim Heidecker is so mad about it yeah he is so angry and so then the movie comes out and greg's on it and they have like twitter fights he's like at the premiere like greg's at the premiere (laughs) i forgot about that and he's just saying how (laughs) it i can't believe they did that because they incorporated it into their whole show and like their twitter and then tim's getting all mad and then later if you'll remember in 2015 in september a movie called fantastic four came out and in that movie, Tim Heidecker was able to get a small, about 10-second part in the movie. So for the next year, they were arguing about how which movie was better. And it was very funny because Greg's movie was critically accepted, and people yes, loved it. Yes, that's and right. And Tim yeah. Heidecker's movie was reviled by everyone, and we critics, were that, audiences, everyone. And you and I have had several conversations about, like, okay, Tim and Greg and Eric run hollywood, hollywood. they secretly the, like, run it there's got to be i mean that's had to have been planned <laughs> to some degree like was tim like like scout like you know does he get like early like readings of things or was he, did he contact his agent and be like hey i'm looking for this these kind of things we so, should like, keep ask your eye next out. time he does office hours we should ask oh, how they did yeah. that yeah um so yeah it's just, it was just too convenient for the show that you were like this had to have been scripted somehow yeah. Because in a way, it is script, you know, like, I'm sure big picture. Yeah. It's kind of yeah. scripted. So, like, how does the Tim's movie bomb when, when classically Tim does bomb right. in the show and then Greg does, like, okay. And he usually just does, like, okay. Yeah. It's hilarious. And he, like, it's like Tim or Greg deserves it, too. Yeah. He's, like, earned it. And Tim has it. Oh my gosh. It's and so then funny. also flashing forward, just so we finish our whole on cinema thing, is in Ant Man and the Wasp, Tim Heidecker has a cameo in the movie. Yes. And then last year he was tweeting a lot about how Marvel had decided to make because he's a he's a just a whaler on a boat yes. in the movie who has like one line of dialogue. And he was tweeting a bunch about how like they were starting a whole whaler the whale man yeah. franchise. Yeah. In Marvel cinematic universe. Yeah. So it's just the funniest thing. And uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Rate, review, subscribe, <laughs> um, tell your friends. Uh, and that was on cinema at the cinema. Okay. Okay. So we're back in the movie. And the extreme high gives way to an extreme low. Well, then. I wouldn't say extreme. We cut to. Um, they. There, there's that 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 guy from House of Cards, the bald guy in this movie, mm-hmm. who's who's the villain, um, and he he has Hank. I guess I probably should have looked him up. Yeah, that's okay. But he ha- he's in House of Cards. There's his credit. Um, like it, no one's watching House of Cards. Who's listen listens to this podcast? Well, that's true. Um, 
So he shows up. Um, he's he's on the scene. He works at um, Hank's old like science factory, and he invites Hank to see because he's going to premiere this technology. And while they're there, he shows some footage of the mythical Ant Man who lived back in the day. And you're seeing old black and white footage of people being fought in wars by a tiny man, a tiny man, and like tiny being like you guessed it, ant size, ant size. And then, um, let's see. So during this, they find out that he wants to weaponize this suit and like make a new kind of utopia of like protectors that are um, ant-sized people. Which this is just kind of a funny concept to me because it's like I guess if you could shrink someone, you could do a lot of damage in war. But it also just feels like such an unnecessary like scientific development well they explained they explained that what i i'm gonna totally butcher it but once you shrink you still like have the same strength as if you were as if you're big which makes your strength stronger proportionally it's much stronger than even a human at that point yeah still doesn't really make sense yeah so but that's their excuse also it does make sense when when uh later on in the movie michael douglas talks about what happened what really happened to his wife mm-hmm. and the mission that they're doing makes sense that makes to be sense an yeah. man. um i don't know it's just kind of like the, the, it's like this movie's trying so hard to be like scientific that i wish it was i wish it was less scientific so that it, it could be more fun and just goofy and that is the downfall of this movie <laughs> and ant-man 2 they keep using big words, scientific stuff to explain it all. Like children are watching this. Like Yeah, it's just kind of like like there's definitely elements in the Iron Man movies that is uh science-based, but it's still kind of like of course we all know this is really more fantasy than it is sci-fi. Also, it's more visual. Like they're showing, there's a lot more to yeah. show. And in this it's like you have the proportional strength of an ant, and so you have to learn how to blankety blankety blank. And then if you do this with the quantum blankety blank, then you you can do this. They're just and, using a lot of dialogue to explain and it. And it's just like I don't know. I wish that the movie was a little just more fun. Yeah. Um my my like pull quote for this movie is it's not fun enough to be a superhero movie. It's not funny enough to be a comedy and it's not heisty enough to be, or it's, it doesn't have like the twists and yep. turns that it's a heist movie. Yeah. It doesn't know what it is. So it's just like kind of three different genres, but not in a fun and way. And the high stuff, which are like 30 second sequences, both times are like the best Could part. Have been so cool. Yeah. They're, they're so interesting. And it's like, you, do you understand the huge missed opportunity? To, yeah. to do that. Yeah. So uh, let me go back to my note here. Um, then then we find out that uh, Evangeline Lilly, uh, she is Hope. Michael Doug Hope. Uh, she's the son, the daughter of Hank Pym. Yeah. And they're like, oh, man, he's weaponizing this stuff. We have to break in and we got to steal it, um, which is a nice setup for a heist movie which they will just dabble in and not commit to. Um, but so she is like, um, oh my gosh, I'm totally lost my train of thought. But she also works with the bad guy. Yeah, so she's she, like, she I can a, do it. She became estranged from her father because he never told her how her mom disappeared slash died. So she continued to work on stuff and not be with him. And yes. then when she realized it was all bad, she went back to him. So then 
Yes. Paul Rudd. Well, and uh, can I, I just want to say something really quick. Um, I know we find out later it's because of her mom, but just because of the way the movie goes, I wrote the reason Lily can't do the heist because Hank says she can't is just because the script needs her to. Yeah, pretty much. It, it really feels contrived. I mean, it doesn't they do, feel they do real. put it on the like, you're my daughter. You're the last one I have. I can't lose you. Yeah, but it that's just, the excuse. They have like four days to like stop it from getting out. And so they're like, they're we got to train this other guy. Yeah. It's like, what are you talking about? Yep. It's uh, quite the bummer. So then Paul Rudd, so Paul Rudd's friends are like, we got a job. And he's like, no, I don't want to do it. And then it's like, then he ends up doing it. So then he ends up stealing the Ant-Man suit. Yeah. Um, and you find out that um, Hank Pym planted it for him because he wanted him to steal it. Because he's, yes. he's known him for a while. He's he's a cat burglar and has been successful despite not being because he got to, he was in prison. But um, that that's why he wants to use him. So when Paul Rudd first puts on the Ant-Man suit and shrinks by now accident. that's a sweet sequence. Yeah, that's And it's cool. like, am I going to love this movie now? Because he's like in the bathtub and the water flows. Then he's in the rave, flying. like the club downstairs. Yeah, he goes into the rave. He's like hanging on to the ridges of a vinyl record. Yeah. Really cool. Really, really cool. Um, I think he His gets... facial reactions were great too. <laughs> and he gets in a vacuum and stuff. Like literally yes. someone vacuums him up, which is all fun stuff. But during the sequence, and this is my first fix of the movie, is um, Michael Douglas is talking to him and he's like, see like not so easy or you know he's saying weird stuff to him and he has no idea who the person is so my fix for the movie is you commit to the heist you make him breaking into uh hank's house a little bit more complicated and then you get rid of everything that has hank pym in the beginning of the movie and then when he hears him on his headphones while he's a miniature person um you're like, is that Michael Douglas? <laughs> and then yeah. they get Ant-Man, they recruit him, and then he goes, here's how I did it. And then there's a flashback, and he shows how he tricked Paul Rudd into getting the suit and how he got him to where he is now. Because that's like the trope of a bank, of a of a heist movie, is you like do something and you think it's going a certain way, and then there's like a twist, and the twist is revealed through them showing you what actually happened. Mm-hmm. And if that had happened, oh boy. And you get rid of like that stupid flashback at the beginning that really doesn't add anything to the movie. Mm-hmm. And then you could get into the villain mm-hmm. after that. So that's, I just had to go off on that. Cause, no, uh, you're right. I have nothing to contribute. <laughs> so then at this point, the villain is experimenting, shrinking little sheep. How specific are we really going to be here? Yeah, you're right. Uh... <laughs> Well, we ended the movie and we were just like, I, we've seen this movie yeah, so many times. Yeah. And well, it, it's, it, I guess I'm just really frustrated with yes, this movie. Yes, Because it's just, it's just like nothing's new. It could be fun. Yeah. Um, One thing I'll note though is something about having Michael Douglas in the movie gives it like weird validity to me. Okay. And that was a smart casting choice I because think so too. when he's talking about stuff, you're like, yeah, I guess you can talk to answer that receptor. That's fine. Yeah. You know, the, because the he's just like. The receptor thing. So like when they're training Paul Rudd, Paul Rudd accepts. Yeah. Because he, I think he basically gives, he's like, I will help you with your daughter. Like 
Yeah. Help you with all of that if you help me. One of those classic things. So he's training Paul Rudd on everything. And one of the things he's training on is like controlling basically Ant's mind. Because all man, Ant's, you know, like hive mind. It's like one. Yeah. One brain. So he, Michael Douglas has created something to like be the the brain, which is super cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and when Paul Rudd was trying to use it, it was so annoying because Hope or Evangeline Lilly was like, there should be no lies because he couldn't get it to work. Like no lies. Like you have to totally commit. You have to like be the, like I'm paraphrasing, like be the better person of who you are. And it's like, he just needs to tell an aunt yeah. to put a sugar cube in a cup of tea. And then in the next scene when she actually gives him real advice, he just gets it right. And so yeah. it's like, he didn't like come to grips with who he was before that. I, I don't. Well, it was more for her. Like she changed in that yeah, scene. I, she, I, ugh. and I'm not, I'm not blaming the actress. No. But it's just like, okay. It really felt like they needed a girl there. Yeah. So she's, so she's there. Also, she's there to be a love interest. Yeah, and then and then the other thing they do the thing that we talked about in Guardians, um, one of the few things that I don't like about Guardians, which actually they pull it off in that one though, is they take a very famous actor that is famously funny and whatnot, and for some reason they make that actor bulk up and get a six pack. There's a six pack oh, shot with that with Chris Pratt of Paul Rudd and Chris Pratt, and I'm like, if they get in shape, it's fine. Don't give me like the hot shot of them. Yeah. Chris oh, Pratt yeah. isn't too bad because he's like hosed down, but it's still like, look at how big this guy is. Like he bulked up for this. Yep. And it's like, oh, it's that. like Scott Ackerman says, why does Ant-Man have to have abs? How come Paul Rudd has to have abs? And why don't, if they're so concerned, why don't they just CGI it on? Cause who cares? Yep. And then go back to do what they did in 300 and spray painted it on. <laughs> it's just kind of annoying. Um, uh, so Cross's experiment goes well. Uh, exposition is boring to me on this movie. So what? So like it starts working. They're like, okay, now we need to steal it from him because it's worked, and now he's gonna have this huge presentation, uh, and all these these people are gonna sell it and use mm-hmm. it for war. So that's that's their motive motivation yeah. is to take that away from them. But before they do that, they have to steal, and this part is probably the second best part of the movie mm-hmm. besides Greg Turkington is they're like hey there's this old Stark building you just need to go there Ant-Man Red and steal this little component shrink it down and then we're gonna put it in there it'll explode and then we've defeated the villain cross mm-hmm. so he's flying above it and he's jump- jumping out of a plane or, or no he's flying on an ant that he named Antony by the way all of the ant animations great yeah, the ants really look cool. so good. Yeah. Um, but he's flying down and then he's like, Oh, this that's Avengers headquarters. Yeah. Kind of cool. And then Falcon's there. Everyone it's now else cool is because Falcon's badass. Yeah, Before we that, like was Falcon like, now. Oh, they couldn't afford anyone else. They had to get Falcon, which, which is definitely the case. Yeah. But it's like, <laughs> cool, Falcon's in it. Yeah, now we're a pro Falcon family. We're pro Falcon family. Um on your left. Yeah, I get it. Uh so then he they like fight and he's able to steal the the thing and then once again I mean we don't actually see him steal it which is kind of like he just fights Falcon and that's that part's kind of cool it's kind of fun but then cuz it's, it's really confusing it should be like a heist movie so why don't we see him going in there and stealing it 
Yeah, I don't know. The stealing is the fun part. It's interesting to think that because it's like this whole thing happened and you have to think that the Avengers now think that this thing is a threat. Yeah. Which is an interesting Which I think in the next movie they kind of touch on. Oh no! At the at the end of the teaser, remember uh, before at, at the they wanted to find scene, out who it was to like maybe use him. Well, um, Falcon is talking to Captain America, and he's like, "I know a guy who might be able to help us." Yes. And the assumption is he's talking about Ant Man. Yes. Um, so that part's pretty good, and then they finally have they finally go to the heist. And who do they bring? But Paul Rudd's crew, Michael Pena, Ti, yeah. and the other guy. Yeah, the guy from Prisoners. <laughs> who, who is one of those people who pops up in a lot of movies and he's usually really, really great. He's total character actor Yeah, for a lot of things because he's usually really creepy. I guess he's not in this one, but no. he's usually a really creepy person. I don't person. dig him in this one, though. Oh, no, it's awful because he's a Russian for no reason. And he has the terrible Russian accent. But um, yeah. well, not, and, not that Russian accents are terrible. They do the stereotypical Russian accent. Yeah, which, accent. I mean, I'm sure that accent is out there, but it's, it's just kind of like... If you're going to, I don't know, I feel like hire a Russian to do that accent. And then I would feel better about it. Because I feel like the Russian accent, everyone just goes to like. They the, just take out little words and it's fine. I don't know. It's it's real. The, I don't know. I don't get it. It's weird. Yeah. So that that was disappointing because I usually get excited when I see that actor. Mm-hmm. And he was just bad. Well, and he's, I think he's also playing it too straight. Yeah. Like he. Like everyone else, they're like the comedic relief is this crew. Yeah, and Michael Pena's being like very fast talking and goofy, and the other guys being really goofy as well. And mm-hmm. then he's like, "I am this straight man." No, he said he would say, "I am straight man." I am straight man. Yeah, yeah. Because for some, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't. So dig they're him. helping them get into the building undetected because there's a lot of stuff they got to go through, hoops mm-hmm. they got to jump through, which they don't show us in a heist way. They just they just kind of show for us. the ride in real time um, and if they did it in the heist way again they would have like shown us a couple things something would have gone wrong then we get out and they're like oh but wait a second and then it's like and then you see how it actually went down and then you're like whoa that was so cool they yeah. tricked me but in this they're just like okay we did it and then I have a tank that I made big and we escaped. Yeah. So, of course, the plan doesn't go completely according to plan like most movies. Um, and uh, Michael Dung- Douglas. <laughs> what if there was a movie where they, <laughs> where there was just, which is kind of a heist movie sometimes, but like it was very straightforward and they're like, we really need to go in there and stop this. And the whole movie, they're like building up to this and they go in there and they just do it exactly how they said they'd do it. And they come out and they're like, we did it. That would be great. <laughs> um, that reminds me of um, Community when they're trying to get the school back from Chang, uh-huh. and they do they do a heist. They do a heist oh, episode. Oh, that's right. Yes, and it's so funny because didn't the Rousseau brothers direct that one? I don't know. No, they didn't. They didn't. But Sorry. Um, it's like at the end of their plan, and it like seemed to be working. They have Dean with him, who had been held hostage. Yeah, and then. Um, I think Chang catches them, and the whole time Pierce is trying to do this really racist Indian character. That's right. And what's funny is they they told him no, like they told him what his job was. He showed up as the racist Indian character anyway, but they had planned for it, uh-huh. and it like actually worked and for see, their plan. They did a high. So you know you have a problem when a show is making fun of something and it does it better than you. Yeah. Because they did a heist in that, and then they're like, this is actually what happened. Yeah. And it goes back and shows you what ap- actually happened, and you're like, they did it. They did the Which heist. Which was so exciting, even though this is like a 20 min- 22-minute comedy <laughs> show. 
Um, anyway, so what happens is... We really the, don't like it, the Ant-Man movie. <laughs> a bald guy, bad guy, gets in a helicopter, Ant-Man gets with him, and then they start fighting, and they're both tiny. And this is kind of cool, they're in the his briefcase fighting, as the briefcase is like yeah. falling this from part, the sky. This stuff I like a lot. The sequence is cool. The sequence is cool. Villain could not be more forgettable to I, me. And I think he's, he's playing it so big. Yeah. Like, like, he's not laughing, but he's just being like... He's just short of looking at the camera and being like, <laughs> yeah. And I just, it's annoying. Yeah, it's pretty annoying. Because he's not doing it in an interesting new way. It's just what we've seen. He's before. just like, I am your classic bad guy. Yeah. And it's like, I guess that's what we've asked for in this movie. <laughs> um, so they end up at back at um, Paul Rudd's daughter's room, I guess. Oh, but before that, he does. They plop into a little pool, mm. and the sound effect is very it's, small, which yeah. is funny. And then Ant-Man punches him, and he goes into, like, a f- electric fly catcher. Yeah. and That's funny. And I really wish, and I think that, I think a funnier move for the movie and a better move is that character dies from that. Yeah. Like, he got shrunk to an ant, and he died from that. Not that it powers up his suit, and he becomes stronger. Yeah. Which was, yeah. Also, one, another thing. Uh, before that, uh, Cross sold the weapons to Hydra, and in like an off comment, they're like, "Yeah, so." Oh, I didn't even stuff. notice that. Like, I had checked out. Like by we're them. actually from Hydra, whatever. And didn't oh didn't, get over it, Hydra? Did, yeah, didn't they get rid of Hydra in Winter Soldier? I thought. So what's weird is within the same phase and without like any rebuilding or anything, and the same movie. And so Hydra Winter was in Soldier, Ultron they, too. Yeah, was it? Wasn't Hydra? Oh wait, no. No. That so in Winter Soldier, no Hydra was because the beginning of the movie weren't those twins like with Hydra? Oh. Because I think we were talking. I about think it you're then. right. Yeah, because at the end of Winter Soldier, there's that. I don't know. I just think they just undid a movie. It, it's annoying that Winter Soldier fought to like get rid of Hydra and Shield, mm-hmm. and within the same franchise like a year later they got rid of both of those things yeah and they just were like actually we take that back which i know is like a comic book thing to do but it really it makes me detach from the shield hydra storyline because it's just kind of like oh it's that thing that they destroy and then it just comes back Mm -hmm. or whatever i I don't know Mm -hmm. and i know that in the next movie it's like all about hydra being in it because the next movie is captain america Mm -hmm. uh civil war and so it's that's a little frustrating to me it um, is frustrating as like a series whole yeah um but then then they have that fight scene in paul rudd's daughter's room which is a which is cool because they're playing they're not playing (laughs) they're fighting on a toy train set and whenever the train like the train runs into the bad guy and you you know huge explosion but it's just a tom what is it the the like tommy train or that's not right. Something train. T- Tom- Thomas the train. Thomas, Thomas the train. train. It just falls over. Like it shows a big yeah, normal yeah. size and it just topples really over, great. which is great. But then for some reason, Cross's suit it makes a Star Wars sound. Yeah. It's like it does the, um. I think it's an ATAT walker, which is what you said. And I was very proud of you. It's, I, I'm pretty sure it's that. It could be a TIE fighter. Um. I'm sure Mike Combs is going to listen to this. Is a TIE this. fighter the X one? The um, X plane? The the Tie Fighter is like the 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 Imperials planes in the that are X's. No, those are X wings. Those are Rebel planes. Okay. 
We're not uh, talking about Star Wars right now. But but people Mike, are gonna think that I hate that movie. <laughs> those move that movie. <laughs> There's so many. Um, I but don't. but Mike, let let us know. Um, yeah. What what is the actual vehicle? Um, With that sound effect. Yes. Uh, and then he goes subatomic, which he's not supposed to, because it maybe killed uh, Hank Pym's wife, but we don't know. Maybe that sets up the next movie. But he has to go subatomic to get into the guy's suit to like dismantle destroy it, it, destroy it, which is cool when he does because like cool visuals. It, really it obliterates. Cool visuals. I guess obliterates not even the right word. I think it it makes him go into that. Yeah, because it shrinks him smaller and smaller and smaller. Looks very painful though. It did. That was a cool. That was a pretty cool effect. I like. Yeah, that. I liked it too. But then Paul Rudd makes it back because he has to, and um, his daughter's fine. Bad guy's gone. There's a giant ant now, which is like a dog, and I'm into it. That's kind of weird. It's cool, um, and I like ants now. Yeah, and then and then the movie's over, and then the post credit scene we already talked about. But then one of the other post credit scenes is um. Evangeline Lilly gets her suit. Oh yeah. And they tease the wasp and she does this really weird thing where her facial expression does like four or five different things and it's really weird. Yeah. Um so that's the movie. I think we discussed about everything we could about the movie. Yes. We don't like it. No. But before we go, we got to rank the the phase 2 movies. Okay. So I'll go first. Okay. Bottom of the pack, Ant-Man. Number five, Thor The Dark World. Number four, Avengers Age of Ultron for me. Number three, Captain America The Winter Soldier. Number two, Iron Man 3. Number one, Guardians of the Galaxy. I would just switch Ultron with Winter Soldier. That's Wait, what, what was, was your expecting. third one? That was Winter Soldier. What was your second one? No, 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 third from the bottom. Uh, third from the bottom was uh, Ultron. Okay. Um, yeah, I would switch that... You yeah, Iron Man Iron three Man was at, cool. Yeah, at two. Yeah. Yeah. Iron yeah. Man three is great. That that's the like Guardians just held up like nothing else. But Iron Man three is the like that's the underdog I think of Phase two. Yeah. Um. So next week we start to learn about that green ugly ogre. We're jumping into Shrek, and we're doing all four movies. No, wait, five because Puss in Boots is in that series as well. We're getting our boot on. We're getting our Shrek on. Let's go be all, uh, hey, now you're an all-star. Thank you for listening. I'm not excited. I I am excited. I think we're going to really rip it to shreds. I think this will be the first franchise that we don't like, like as like completely Well, don't see, like. I haven't seen it since I was a kid, so I might still like it just because it's n- for nostalgia. Yeah. No um, one knows. Yeah, just make sure to rate and uh, just show a friend. Yeah, yeah, show a friend. That's that's our goal each week. Show Tell a friend. friend that a podcast is going to cover the Shrek franchise. Who wouldn't listen to that? I know, seriously. It's August. You need to Shrek. Bye. Bye.